It's weird that they never seem to reference anything that happened in the first King Kong movie. I thought that was really weird. I mean, they basically, like, rewrote... I mean, it's like they were starting from scratch. Yeah. I don't think the other stuff ever happened. No, because no one's like, oh my gosh, it's like that giant monkey that destroyed part of New York that one time. (laughs) Yeah. No, that never happened in this one. Yeah, but you can't really have an exploration movie and have it already have been discovered. I mean... Yeah. That's all there is to this script. (laughs) (laughs) Escape from Monster Island. Yes, thank you. Where you at, John Carpenter? What the hell is this place? That's Kong. He's king around here. Kong's pretty good king. Keeps to himself mostly. Well, you don't go into someone's house and start dropping bombs unless you're picking a fight. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, the Bad Movie Podcast. Where today we're talking about Kong, Skull Island, which I liked a lot. It was kind of entertaining in that brainless summer blockbuster way. Yeah, plus I love monster movies. Well, this was perfect for you then. It it really was. Also, it restored my faith in Tom Hiddleston being hot. Oh my goodness, yes. It's also surprising how many stars were in this movie. It was a lot of them. I know, and a lot of them were underused or poorly used. Yeah, they were. And at the same time, as much as they tried to do comedy stuff, they didn't use the two comedians that they had in the army. I Two of those guys I know from just comed- comedic stuff. Oh, uh-huh. Eugene Cordero and Mark Evan Jackson are really funny. And Eugene Cordero was just a soldier in the whole thing. And Mark Evan Jackson, they kind of had him try to be funny. He may have had, like, other funny stuff that they cut, but it was just a waste. Was that the- yeah, really, all the comedy kind of rested on John C. Riley. I know, which at first I was like, I don't like this. It's weird. It's like jarring the tone of the movie. But then it got better and I was like, okay, this is fine. But I think it's more just like we got used to it rather than <laughs> it got better. We were just like, oh, okay, this is part of the movie now. That, that's for sure what happened. You're just, you just adjust your expectations. Because before that, it, it was been weird. kind of straight up like Apocalypse Now style yeah. movie. Yeah. I was... mean, obviously <laughs> not really Apocalypse Now style, but like they lean hard on the Vietnam style mm. and really shooting all of that stuff the way Apocalypse Now did it. Oh, really? I've never seen that. And never will! Oh, it's really good. Uh, okay, sure. I Sounds terrible <laughs> and weird and depressing. Well, also the fact that one of the characters is named James Conrad. I mm-hmm. wondered if that was also a reference to Apocalypse Now. Oh, is that a person in that? Joseph Conrad wrote Heart of Darkness, which is what Apocalypse Now is based on. Oh, I didn't realize that it was based on that. I did also assume, though, that that was a reference to Joseph Conrad. Yeah. Um, Partly because Joseph Conrad was referenced in Peter Jackson's King Kong movie. One of the... Jamie Bell is reading that book on the ship. And then he gets, like, partway into it, and they're, like, halfway through the movie now, and it's taking a real dark turn, and he's like, this isn't an adventure story, is it? Like, talking about the book. So and so, and he's like, no, it's not. (laughs) 
Okay. No one reading Heart of Darkness thinks that it's an adventure story when they're reading it. Okay. First of all, I'm pretty sure Jamie Bell is a real idiot <laughs> in this movie. Not like in real life, but yeah. he's working on a ship and like, can I mean, I think he's like, this is the first real book I ever done read. <laughs> So, after that tangent. <laughs> yeah, uh, important information, you mean. Yeah. Um, somewhere over the South Pacific, 1944, that's our setting. A small plane crashes on the beach, and its American pilot parachutes to safety. We see another plane going by, also on fire, also crashes, and its Japanese pilot parachutes safely on the same beach. They start shooting at each other, they miss... Especially, you know, possibly concussed. All well, especially since they're both pilots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I only did basic gun stuff. Exactly. Uh, They chase each other and try to finish the fight. Luckily, for the Japanese guy, not for the American guy. The Japanese guy has a legit sword on him. Oh yeah, I don't even. Everyone in the in the Japanese military has samurai swords. Seriously, he's like in the cockpit. It's weird. It seems unsafe and unnecessary. When do you think you're going to get a chance to use this? I mean, he did get a chance to use it. Results speak for themselves. Yeah, a lot of the time when planes go down pilots aren't then ready to whip out their samurai swords and start fighting on the ground well you probably shouldn't parachute with a sword on you you know so they get into a fight and they're on a cliff and seems like the japanese guy has the upper hand and then two big giant black furry hands come up over the cliff and they're staring right into the face of kong they drop their swords and Roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> Kong is a lot bigger in this movie he's than he was in the first one. He's huge in this movie. He's huge to the point where I'm like, well, now we're... I'm not saying we weren't solidly in fantasy territory before, but the thing is, like, things can't be that big. Yeah. Like, living things can't be that big, and it's not just because they could, couldn't support their weight, although that is something that's true um, specifically for the way that insects are made. Um, they can never get that big. But also something that big would have to be eating non-stop. I was thinking about that. I was like, there's no way that this island could support this many giant monsters. Because for one thing, there wouldn't they wouldn't be able to hold enough of them physically for them yeah. to be able to reproduce. But also, uh, they wouldn't have enough food. Well, and they would never have time to do anything else. Yeah. They would just be eating or sleeping. Yeah. So it was kind of a cool credit scene, the way that they flashed forward in time through news footage and videos. Um and stuff. I mean, they didn't need to do that. It's, you know, you could just say now we're in this year, but it mm-hmm. was kind of, I, I think it was well done. And then we get to the part in history where they've put satellites in space and they're saying, we'll be able to see everything. And I'm like, oh, I understand. You can <laughs> see that island now. So Bill Randa, John Goodman, and Houston Brooks. Not a real name. Houston <laughs> should be no one's first name. I'm sorry because I know there are people named Houston, but I don't think there should be. Yeah, no. It's like I read... I mean, agreed. I, I know. Houston was somebody's last name to begin with, and then... I know. So, Randa and Brooks show up in D.C. to meet with Senator Willis for funding. He has put them off four times previously. He does not want to talk to them because they're total crackpots and nobody wants to meet with them. But I can't believe he was, like, actually agreeing to meet with them and just rescheduling constantly. Was Monarch supposed to be a government institution before it was shut down? I don't know if it was officially part of the government, but he did say that Truman funded Monarch. 
So it may not have been part of the government, but it got government grant money. So maybe that's why he agreed to meet with them, because technically it was kind of a government offshoot. Well, and it sounds like they had had a previous relationship, because at the end of this meeting, he says, promise me this is the last favor. And so I think they had had some kind of working relationship. But... We see on TV that the Vietnam War is over and troops are coming home. And so Randa says that And, like, means, just over. Right. We see the announcement yeah. on the TV. And uh, Randa says to, to Brooks, this means they have to act right now. I'm not exactly clear why, but... I, I'm still not sure why that is. Something about piggybacking on Off a mission. another operation. But like, I don't understand what this operation was. I don't either, but maybe it was that they were coming... Like, if they were coming home, maybe it would have been too hard to get them all the way out to the South Pacific Islands if they weren't already in Vietnam. I don't know. Unclear. They just needed it to happen now. Yeah. So, Senator Willis asks what imaginary monster they're looking for this time. And... They say, well, there's an island in the South Pacific called Skull Island. They say called Skull Island, and they don't say, we just found out this exists, and we just named it this, because guess what? No one has called it anything before. Right. But everybody knows that it's the name of the island. We meet well, somebody, it's obvious from seeing the pictures. We meet somebody later on the island who's like, this is Skull Island. <laughs> well, it's like, what? How do you know that? Yeah. In that sense, it would have been better if they'd somehow tied it to the first King Kong movie and maybe just said, like, they never brought Kong back, but they knew about this island and, like, before from this mission. I don't know. They didn't really do any of that, though. Yeah. So, Randa says that the nuclear tests in that area weren't tests. They were trying to kill something, which he bases on nothing. And uh, there's a photo of some really impressive claw marks that have just destroyed a U.S. ship. The senator is not convinced. You know, in terms of sheer waste, Monarch ranks right up there with the search for alien life. Yeah, but those guys are nuts. I mean, and it's true. Like, everybody who thinks something fringe thinks that other fringe people... Thinks yeah. that at least one other fringe thing is like, but how could you believe that? <laughs> so they say all they want is to piggyback on some other operation. And Houston seals the deal when he points out that the Russian satellite is going to be passing over it in three days, and pretty soon the Russians are going to have the same images the Americans have. Who knows what's there, but don't we want to find it before they do? And this is Cold War, so the senator agrees, but says this is the last favor. I love the assumptions that the Russians are definitely going to be 100% interested in this Why would and they send be? a bunch of people out there. Yeah, like if two guys here wanted to look for monsters on it, who knows what the Russians are going to do? Yeah. So Randa's like, sure, this is a last favor. And one more thing, please give me this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> he immediately asks for a military escort. So on the Vietnam Da Nang base, soldiers sit around joking and playing cards, including Eugene Cordero, Relis, and Samuel L. Jackson watches over them all and doesn't say it, but looks like he might be feeling too old for this. He's clearly sad he has no direction now that the war is over. He's looking at his medals in a box and stuff like that. Um, so he's thrilled to get a phone call uh, later with orders for this military escort on a newly discovered island. I bet his soldiers disagree. Yeah, well, one of them does loudly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Several of them. I mean, because they're like, oh, I can't wait to get home. And also, like, this one guy's like, oh, I have a job lined up, lined up for me, and I've got a son and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, gosh, you're not making it. 
Yes, Tony Kebble has a son that he keeps writing, or that he will occasionally write to over the course of the movie, which is where there's a continual Dear Billy thing that the soldiers do. Yeah. Uh, And we might remember this actor from other Moore's Moore movies like Warcraft. Warcraft. (laughs) Our old friend Warcraft, the most confusing movie we've ever watched. I mean, you say that. But it's like you don't remember Jupiter Ascending. Oh, that movie just made less sense. (laughs) But in Warcraft, I legit had no idea who anyone was. (laughs) Or, like, the basics of the universe and who had met each other before. It was... Jupiter Ascending was just the craziest (laughs) plot. Randa and Brooks are in Vietnam also and walk into a bar to hire an amazing, legendary tracker, James Conrad. Old T. Hiddleston. Looking very good and filling every cliche you could possibly want in your your legendary tracker. For sure. He's uh, making money hustling with pool, gets into a bar fight with a pool stick, handily beats his opponents, cynical, demands five times the money that you're asking, lectures you about how dangerous this is and you don't even realize it. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure they do realize it. He's like, he's listing off all the normal things. He's like, diseases, bugs, blah, 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 <laughs> all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. Things duh. that want to kill you. Like, you're just Animals. describing an island right yeah. now. That's, yeah. Plus a bonus, if they get back. Done deal. That is so dumb. Why would you ask for all of this money up front and then say, and a bonus if we get back? Like, <sighs> What's the, what's the five like, times the money for? Like, do you have a mother back home that you're you put all this money into her account and then like if you get back you get paid? Like, what right. what's the five times the money for if not for just, expecting to get back? I know, just ask for all of it up front, you weirdo. I think it would have made more sense if he'd said and five times the money if like everyone makes it back. Or yeah, something. that would have been yeah something like that would have made more sense. So then we see Mason Weaver, who's Brie Larson. She is a photojournalist who is developing photos in a lab and gets the call that she got the job documenting the mapping of this island. She is psyched, and the man on the line asks why she even wanted it. And she says, when three sources tell you the same thing word for word, you know they're lying. So she wants the story. But also, what were they telling her word for word? It's a mapping expedition. That's all the military thinks it is. Yeah, and I'm confused about who she... Like, who were these sources who were given the same lie to tell? I mean, I don't know what that... I I don't really know what that means. I was like, because that could also mean that they're all telling the truth. Especially if the lie they were telling was, it's a mapping expedition. I think everyone thinks that, except the weird monster hunters. It's true, yeah. The army doesn't know differently. Yeah. Except super high up people. Especially because the government doesn't even believe that there's monsters there. Yeah, exactly. And if she... I don't know. Whatever. Um, So as predicted, Packard... That's Samuel L. Jackson's name is Packard. Packard's men are not happy. Everyone gets on a ship at Bangkok, and one of my favorite humans, Landsat Steve, Mark Evan Jackson is very surprised that Mason Weaver is a woman. Totally fair, based on the name. Oh, yeah. Weird name. Especially, I think, for the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's not an important scene. I'm just psyched to see him. Weaver meets Packard getting on the ship and says she's been embedded with troops for the last two years. He says people like her lost them support back home, and that's why they had to abandon the war. 
And I wonder if a larger threat could ever make them come together as a team. It can't. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) I was totally wrong about that. They're being briefed on the ship, and this new island is surrounded by a storm system at all times, which is why it's remained hidden until now, which I think is an interesting way to explain both its inaccessibility and the reason that it's the 70s and still nobody has discovered it. Yeah. The helicopters will let them get onto the island, and then they'll be exploring the surface Uh, The military will. While Randa, Brooks, and a woman scientist named San look at the geology underneath. So Brooks explains that they will be dropping charges onto the island to seismically map stuff. And it's a weird explanation and everyone is suspicious. This is the... Oh my gosh. So this whole dropping charges, it probably is the way you you do whatever it is they were saying, but why Sometimes. would it be the first thing you did? Why yeah. wouldn't you look and see what's on the island and what sort of plant life or animal life? Like, why would your first thing be, let's immediately drop bombs and then we'll go look at other things? Well, and you wouldn't do that partly because dropping seismic charges is, I think, only a good way to map very deep things and you don't even know what the terrain is of this place because you've never been there before why wouldn't you map that first well i'm just thinking about like endangered species and not endangered well, too but, but, but new things species like, for sure new species where you're gonna try and get them and then the other thing is the guy who uh houston his theory that he's trying to prove is the hollow earth theory which means that he thinks the island isn't very dense i know exactly it doesn't make any sense and conrad is like uh what now that makes no sense you're dropping bombs and he's like they're scientific instruments tools so good job nobody believes you yeah (laughs) so they'll have to leave the island in three days or they'll lose the window in which the storm is passable, at least in a certain point. It's weird because the storm still doesn't ever stop. No. But it's maybe just not bad in this one spot. To which the seems point crazy where they that you would through. be able to predict that so well. It's weird. But it's also, weird that they're like, oh, we have all of these. I mean, what did you like determine that from, you know, like you didn't even determine it when you got close to the storm. Yeah, theoretically it would be from satellite images, but they've also made it seem like satellite imaging is really new, so they wouldn't have a lot of history to be able to predict the way the storm acts. Plus, when they get there, one of the guys is like, I'm calling it because there's a storm, and I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Remember how you were literally the character who told us that there was always a storm here? Yeah, like... What? It's like he got there and was like, oh, this is worse than I thought, though. They didn't say it was going to be this bad. Yeah. The storm will also make communication with the ship impossible. So basically, they have to be at the extraction point, which is not the place that they're going in at somehow, which is even more confusing. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why that was the thing. It was so that they would have to cross the island, but, you know. Uh, So they basically, they have to be there or they're just, no one can find them. Later, Weaver and Conrad meet up in the hold, both investigating the bombs, and they're suspicious of the bombs and each other. For some reason. For some reason, and guess what? It's never important. I was like, oh, and then they'll be love interests a little bit while they're fighting for their lives. Nope, all my predictions were wrong. I know, there was, I thought they were going to be love interests too, but if they were, it's And like super mild ones. I mean, I was, right, I was thinking like aliens or predators style love interests. Right. But not even that. Mm -mm. Nope. And also Mason, the girl, is 
suspicious that he's very mercenary. And yes, he is very mercenary. What would you expect? He's not working for the military. He's being hired to do this job. I know. And he seems suspicious of why she's on the mission, but I'm like, she's a photographer looking for a payday. And it's an unexplored island. Right. That's gotta be, I mean, it's not like her normal bag. It's not military stuff. He's like, isn't this a step down as a mapping operation? I'm like, please don't make it sound like exploring a completely undiscovered island is just a mapping operation. Right. Especially, like... I don't know. Maybe she'll pivot after this. The war is over. I know that that doesn't mean there aren't any wars anymore, but still. So then there's a fun montage on the ship. There's a lot of montages, a lot of real 60s, 70s musical montages in here. And just to kind of cut the tension, I guess. So yeah, there's a fun montage of soldiers getting haircuts and working out and just generally joshing around. Finally, the ship is sitting in front of the Wall of Storm, 50 miles from the island. The head Landsat wants to call it off. It's too dangerous. We already know that Packard won't want to, and it's not hard for Randa to force the issue by reminding everyone it's the last uncharted place on Earth. And as they all board the helicopters, Brooks asks Randa if they should tell the others why they asked for the helicopter to be armed. And Randa is so unconcerned about informed consent or preparedness. Also, it doesn't matter if you had told them that. They wouldn't have believed you. Well, they wouldn't have believed, but they might have at least been manning their stations, like, a little bit more. Yeah. They would have at least been on the lookout for maybe something. Because you don't have to say, we think there's a giant monkey here. You could just say, like, we think there's something here because a ship got attacked by something. Yeah, something, there could be something really big here, like, it's... Or you could just say, like, it's really dangerous. A lot of planes have gone down here. Yeah. Also, when they're going off into the storm, when they're flying into the storm in these helicopters, Samuel L. Jackson takes a moment while they're flying into the storms to just remind everyone about Icarus. I know. I thought that was so insane. There's a bunch of stuff like that in here where I'm like, I get it. It's like the classic movie thing. Like, you think it sounds good. It didn't. It really didn't. No, it didn't. And he was like, because he, he was like, but we don't have wings made of wax because our father, the U.S. government, gave us <laughs> Pennsylvania steel and it won't melt. Yeah, okay. guaranteed not to melt. And Great. I'm like, okay, well, and we're I was in like, a storm, okay, so that's not really the problem. Yeah, there's a ton of red lightning around you anyway, so, yeah. okay. And how about the wind? I would feel like the wind would be more the issue at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, 13 helicopters fly into the storm. And it sort of seemed like flying so close to each other in such limited view conditions seems like a bad idea, but what do I know? Results speak for themselves and there are no crashes. And they make it through the other side to a sunny island. They set down and are ready for seismic charges, which is super sad because it's beautiful and untouched and now they're just bombing the heck out of it. Yeah, before they do anything else. Yeah. They're like, great, let's start bombing. And they're like, oh, look at all these herds of animals. Bombs away! (laughs) So weird. I know. And And we get this shot from one of the soldiers, like, in his glasses where he's dropping, like, he's, you can see the reflection of the bombs dropping. And he's smiling. he's, like, smiling like a maniac. I know. I get it. Okay? Anti-war stuff. I understand. Do you? Because you've got another hour of this, baby. If you don't understand, you will. I was a little sick of the Vietnam stuff by the end. I was totally sick of it. This isn't really, like, the forum for talking in an an interesting way about Vietnam and what happened there. And here's the thing. I get it. And I'm not saying, like, how dare you criticize Vietnam and war. War is amazing. 
I'm just saying that I was sick of hearing about it, and I was sick of it as this very broad, overused metaphor in this movie. Yeah, and also, I mean, the problem is, this is a ridiculous monster movie, so, like, they're simplifying Vietnam to the point, and I don't really know, like, how much they yeah, they they know about Vietnam in general? I'm not an expert, but I do know that the situation was much more complicated than they were making it seem. And mm. we'll talk about that later as they talk about the war more and more. But they really oversimplify it to an insane degree. <laughs> how dare you, Rose? I know. Uh, so bombs dropping everywhere. Don't worry. A big old palm tree comes flying out of the air to take down one helicopter. I thought this was the best start to the King Kong part of the movie that we could have possibly had. I loved it. It was amazing. And you know what? Monkeys use tools. King Kong proved that. A big furry black hand takes down another one and he's shaking one over his head and roaring at them and one guy falls right into his mouth and now we're cooking with gas. (laughs) And one guy just goes, is that a monkey? (laughs) I was like, that's a good question. But I'm pretty sure you know the answer already. Uh, They immediately start shooting at it, and he appears to be bulletproof. I don't know if that's true, but we don't ever see bullet wounds on him, so maybe. Yeah. He doesn't seem bothered by it, really. Yeah, a lot of stuff on that island was fairly bulletproof. Yes. The copters are all down now. (laughs) Eventually. There's a big fight scene. They all go down. He And some... Man, it was... I they did a good job of having like changing up how he was killing things. One helicopter still in the air, guys go down on ropes, start pulling other guys out of one of the crash copters, bam, giant foot stomps on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Kong stomps away, angry about a job well done. Oh yeah. The remaining people communicate over radio where possible and they have to meet up at the exit point where they will try to send a signal to the ship to send a search party. Conrad estimates they are spread over a 45-mile area, uh, and he is with Slivko, which is an insanely weird name, and I can't get over it, (laughs) who was in another More is More movie, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Glad to see you again, sir. Yeah. Glad you're getting work. Hey, and he got to film in Australia. That's fun. So Conrad estimates they're spread over a 45-mile area, and they've all got to meet up at some point. Packard is basically with the other military guys, Relis, Cole, Mills, all these people. Packard goes to find Randa, pulls a gun on him, and says Randa's going to tell him everything he doesn't know or he'll blow Randa's head off. Randa was on the ship in that photo that got destroyed. Maybe not that photo exactly that he showed that was all torn up by claw marks, but he was on a ship that was destroyed by something huge. He was the only survivor. Yeah. And the military told the families that it was sunk in battle, but he knows what he saw, and he spent the last 30 years trying to prove that this was true. In case you're wondering if this plays a big point in the movie, it does not. No, this is one of the characters that's really underused in the movie, especially for the guy that... So one of the problems, I think, with this movie is that there's too many characters. Oh, there's so many. For what they were trying to do. Yeah. 
Well, that's why it's usually not a good sign if there's a million stars in a movie. Yeah. That's why very few movies can pull it off. Well, and so many of these stars weren't really used very much. But Mm -hmm. him especially, as, like, the main instigator for all this, it was just baffling to me how... Basically, after this point in the movie, they just threw him to the side. Like, this guy was no longer important. Absolutely they did, and it all became about Packard and his thing. Right. Until they throw that guy to the side. I mean, they really don't... And the other problem is that these people's stories and problems that they're working through don't tie together very well. Like, there's no thematic thing that ties together all of the problems that these people are sorting through in their personal lives. Exactly. And it makes it seem like... I mean, the movie just doesn't have one... They don't have even a thematic big bad. Yeah. And they need one. And there's never a point at which you're like, oh, it's over. Yeah. And John Goodman, I think people don't don't ever really think about this. He's really good. Especially in a role like this where he's a true believer. Mm -hmm. I mean, number 10, Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. That was... He was so good in that. And he could have been really good in this, but... Yeah. Well, and I think there's a way that if they had really been interested in talking about the Vietnam War, even in a superficial monster movie way, Mm -hmm. they would have been better off if he'd been more of like a... There had been a reason to go to the island in the sense of rescuing maybe a ship that had been lost there. And he, as the government authority figure, got them into this, even knowing that there was this big monster. And I mean, there's a way they could have made it into more of a direct parallel to the Vietnam War situation. Yeah. I mean, I guess they did a little more when he goes on to explain that, you know, the earth belonged to these ancient giant beings long before man was here. And it's only a matter of time before they take it back. And if they keep their heads buried in the sand, they're going to lose and all this stuff. So I guess that I mean, that's kind of the way that people thought about communism, although communism was like an actual threat that was spreading. Right. Whereas I think that's an insane claim for him to make about these beings. No, I mean, Monster Island 100% is staying contained on the island. They don't that's seem to the care. thing. Like, uh, what? You're giving us nothing. Yeah. You, you, apparently, you have to go where they are to mm-hmm. be in danger. So that's crazy. And he's also not representative of the government. The government thinks he's a crackpot. Right. Um, if this so you was can't a real say threat, that this is the American government getting the American people into a war they don't really want to be in, like which yeah. is what a lot of people say about Vietnam. Right. You can't say that about this guy in this movie. Right. He's exactly. not representative. Yeah. So he's been searching with Monarch for all these years. Now he has proof and he wants to get off the island with it so they can send in the cavalry. Packard says, I am the cavalry. And walks away. That is a bold claim. Yeah, well, not the last one he's going to make. So Brooks and Son explain to Weaver, Slivko, and Conrad as they walk that there is a hollow earth theory. Which is... It was disproved in like the 1800s, but it's fine. So, how dare you? I think Jules Verne wrote a <laughs> very good nonfiction book proving that it was true. <laughs> I'm actually fine with people just unearthing old theories and being like, what if this is true for the sake of a yeah, story? for the sake of a story. Because you can't come up with a whole new scientific theory on your own as a writer. That would be impossible. But well, like, and there was so much crazy stuff that people believe that it's kind of fun to yeah. be like, oh, you know, they disproved it, but like they're, they're, that was wrong. Yeah. And the real thing was crazy. Yeah. So yeah, this is also Hollow Earth is a 
very broad term for what they actually believe, which is just that there are massive underground spaces that are isolated from the surface world. Yeah. Which is actually um, not a bad way to adapt the theory into something yeah. that could possibly be true. Exactly. I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah, for sure. I could see that being true if I didn't know that everything had been mapped. So pa- they're passageways. And Randa thought that this island was an access point, which guess what it is? Then they see a huge and really awesome buffalo come up out of a lake. That was just so cool because it had all the moss on it and everything. On its back. And he was so big. Oh, I loved it. I love it. And this is what I love about like all the Kong movies. They all have amazing giant wildlife. Yeah. And I love seeing that. And he just walks away because he's a buffalo. He doesn't care. Yeah. They're tiny. What does he care? He's not a carnivore. No, it's kind of like, and you know, sure, maybe if they were like the same size as him, he would be more aggressive, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like how cows don't care about cowbirds. Yeah. What what are they going to do? Packard's group is walking through a giant bamboo forest and is not so lucky with the wildlife they encounter. There are spiders like 40 feet high. Okay, I have to talk for a second. The way the spider is revealed is one of the soldiers looks up, mouth closed, Looks or maybe slightly parted. I'm sure he opened his mouth in surprise. Well, maybe it was slightly parted, but like he looks up in surprise, and then this thing comes through his mouth, like and kills him essentially. Skewers him. His mouth is wide open in the shot that we see. I'm like, his mouth was not that far open. Well, when a giant spider shoves its bamboo leg in you, guess what happens? Turns out, yeah, it was a spider leg, and the spider is like huge and this seems like something out of like one of my worst nightmares Mm. yeah i actually have recurring dreams sometimes about like gigantic spiders that's awful yeah it's not great they're on long spindly legs towering over the bamboo and just spearing guys with their legs possibly not even on purpose but then once it becomes aware of them it's definitely trying to eat them i know i think the first time he didn't notice yeah i think so so they start cutting the legs off and they do manage to kill the spider and i do manage to feel very bad for the spider I mean, there was a lot of gross stuff that came out of the spider. Well, that's not his fault. It was supposed to stay inside the spider. <laughs> oh, no. It I didn't, would have I didn't without intervention. The spider. Well, I felt bad for him. Conrad's group comes across some ruins, and then all of a sudden, they realize they're not ruins, and there's a bunch of people there that were just very well camouflaged. Mm-hmm. Inexplicably among the group of natives is John C. Riley. He's very happy to see them. Oh, yeah. And he's just John C. Rileying it up. Yeah. This whole movie. This is Hank Marlowe, the American we saw crash on the island 30 years ago. I'm not sure how he managed to get fat in these conditions, but okay, sure. <laughs> Guess what? There's no fat islanders. You know why? They're on an island working hard to survive. He takes the group to his home because he says it's not safe where they are. One poor guy... Chapman Jack. Jack Chapman? I don't know what his first or last name is. I guess it's Jack Chapman. Yeah, surely Chapman is his last name. Okay. They call him both names, and you know what? A lot of people have last first names in this movie, so who knows? That poor guy, he's the only one who's all alone. He crashed all by himself. He's not with anybody else. This is Tony Kebbell, who has the son, Billy. Yes. He's filling his water bottle in a lake, and there is a very scary ripple in the water behind him. Water scenes are terrifying because guess what? If you can't see through water, it is jam-packed with monsters (laughs) at all times. 
But Kong comes along, forcing him to hide. Kong washes his wounds, drinks water, and is attacked by a giant squid. And then he has calamari for dinner. I know. I remember that one he kills the squid, and then he just starts eating Starts it. chomping it. He's really chill about it. He's like, all right, well, this is great. <laughs> oh, it's so just, casual. Yeah, it's so casual. Then he just drags it away. Starts with dragging him. it away. There you go. Marlo takes the group to the village, which is walled in, and he says, this place is safe. They ask if the wall is to keep, keep Kong out, and he says... He's not the one they're trying to keep out, which is terrifying. These people don't have personal property or crime because they're past that. And I don't understand I what past that means. Like, I feel like it. what it would most logically mean is that they're so focused on not getting killed by monsters that they just, like, were like, we're not going to worry about any of that. But that's not really what he seems to imply. No. So he's like, these people, like, we're at the roots, and these people are, like, the branches. It's the it's the noble savage thing, which... Yeah. It's pretty insulting, actually. I know. I really hate this. I mean, it's insulting to everybody involved, but, that's like... mean, yeah. I feel especially <laughs> insulted, though. <laughs> As someone from a developed country. Right. Because he doesn't really give a good reason for why they're this way, other than just they're noble savages. So, like, there's no crime, there's no fighting, there's no personal property, and some of them don't even seem to age. Also, apparently, they don't talk. Like... Or smile. Or smile. And I'm like... What? How? Like, are they not human anymore? Like, these are things that humans do. The not aging thing. I was like, that's just bonkers. Like, I don't even understand where that came from. But like... Well, open your mind, Rose. Jeez, it's the 70s. No, but the no crime or the no personal property. I'm just like... I mean, it's it's basically not human. I would understand, actually, the no personal property. Yeah, there are all kind of that, a commu- It's a small village. Yeah. They all know each other. Everything's kind of communal. I get that. There are places that Although sort I'm of like, have no I have a property. feeling, though, that everyone goes to the same little hut to sleep at night. So don't tell me about no personal property. But right. the no crime, really, no one ever got really mad or did something they weren't supposed to. Like, I understand, like, yeah. no murder, maybe. Like, you're a small group. I mean, I feel like a place that had actually much lower crime would just have a different definition of crime and, like, have a much more expansive idea of what was allowed. Yeah. But even then, you know, there are just aren't populations that don't have crime. Yeah. They, it can be very low, but to not exist. And it can also, be not serious. Like, it's, you know, yeah, a fight breaks out every now and then, but nobody gets killed. There are also people that have gone to tribal populations like this and lived with them and come back and said, like, oh, they don't really have any crime. And then they describe life there. And you're like, you just described several horrible things that happened. So it's weird that you didn't think that that was a crime. But like... Right. You know, they'll say these things and then they talk about it and it's like, oh, no, they did have crime. You just didn't. I don't they know didn't why. They define it as a crime, or uh, you don't define it as a crime. Maybe or. they, yeah. I mean, I think it was just that they were like, oh, they're so great. Yeah. But also, like, it just makes me not relate to these people, these yeah. villagers. Like, I don't really feel bad for them for living on this monster island, or I don't feel like they're especially brave or anything. I don't know. They just felt like they just didn't really have any personality at all. They didn't, and I thought that was <laughs> wasn't great. So he takes the group to a shipwreck that was there at least 10 years before he got there. And it's another U.S. ship. So it's still mostly there because it's metal. And it's sacred ground because the people have made a bunch of really cool art depicting their history. 
in there. I know. My goodness. This art was amazing. It was very complex. The yeah. way they would have had to plan it out. Yeah. Because it's, it's all you have to be at the right angle. It's all yeah. on these pillars and you have to that are spaced di- at different places mm-hmm. in like a 3D way. So you have to be at exactly the right angle to see the art. Yeah, it was really cool. So he says they were afraid for thousands of years. And it's, you know, showing them fighting off gigantic crocodiles. No, thank you. <laughs> Which I guess is what they said, too. And... Then some of the monsters started protecting them from other monsters. And by some of the monsters, they mean one monster, King Kong. Kong is the last of their protectors. Um, also, no explanation given. I don't like this at all either. This, <laughs> this makes King Kong into something other than an animal. In a lot of ways, it kind of goes against, like, it's the exact opposite of what the first movie was. They were which offering was sacrifices so that Kong wouldn't eat them. That, and also, it was about how Kong was an animal and mm-hmm. should have been treated as such and not taken out of his natural environment and exploited yeah. by people. Yeah. But this, he's, like, super intelligent for an animal and has gone out of his way to be benevolent protectors to humans, which makes no sense at all. It's weird because they don't give him anything. Yeah. It, it's it's very strange. And they're really... Che- it's like if I decided to protect a colony of ants against everything that attacked it. Like, <laughs> I know. Because they're, they're all so, so small. Like, I don't even know why he would pay any attention to them. Well, maybe it's, like, with cats. Maybe it's, like, cat cats and dogs. You know? Well, you're like, maybe. Oh, you like these cats. So when you see him holding a person in his hand, the person who's a full-grown woman yeah. reaches to maybe across his palm. So that's how big he is in comparison. So find something yeah, that's basically across the palm. Or like a small mouse. Calling yeah. a very small mice. Yes. Yeah. Well, either way, he's the last of his kind because the others were killed by these lizard things that only have two front legs and big old tails and snappy mouths. This also, even though it was anachronistic in its speech for the way they would have done it in the 70s, was like my favorite exchange. It was my favorite part of the movie. It was so funny. The Ewees won't speak their name, but I call them skull crawlers. Why? Because it sounds neat. Okay. Look, I just made that name up. I'm trying to scare you. I'm fine calling them that. Are you cool with that? Yeah, that, that seems like I like the name, like a, a so name. I think you... Never said that name out loud before. It sounds stupid now that I say Just you call them whatever you want. So, yeah, they come from the vents, and that's why Kong got so mad about the bombs. They woke a bunch of them up and made holes in the ground so that they could come up out of them, I guess. Which, again, you know, that goes back to the thing, like, if that guy thought that his theory was correct, why would he have bombed the island? Yeah. I don't get it. Um, I know, they're like, it's it's mostly hollow, because they do figure out, like, from the seismic explosions, they're like, it's mostly hollow, and he's super happy, and I'm like, if you thought it was mostly hollow, why did you bomb the heck out of it? Also, maybe tell them to stop bombing now? Yeah, like, what if you break through the ice, through the the earth, which yeah. they kind of do. They, they kind of do, exactly. And then we see a very sad scene of a buffalo having been killed by one of those lizards. And then Kong kills the lizards. Yeah. But it was sad. Kong can handle them. Marlowe says, when they're still small. But once they get bigger, it's harder. There's one really big one. And he says, they better hope that they didn't wake that one up. Which, of course, means they woke that one up. What? We'll see it? <laughs> Do you think so? I, I don't so, know. So, I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. So, they tell Marlowe to come with them to the north end of the island, which is where they'll be picked up in three days. He says, it's impossible to get there in three days. On foot. 
And I was like, I don't know what you're implying. I, you're going to fly there somehow? I don't get it. Yeah. I'm... Anyway, Packard's group are a bunch of idiots who are now <laughs> wading through a swamp that, once again, guaranteed to be jam-packed with monsters. Spoiler alert, it's actually not, which I thought was a missed opportunity. Packard is turning out to be the worst, and he shoots a bird in the head for no reason. <laughs> it's not even doing anything. Yeah. So he's super resentful over the fact that the American army had to leave Vietnam before the war was over. Um, Which I thought was actually really interesting. Like, this was a really interesting character arc. I just wish the rest of the movie had tied together better with it. Yeah, me too. Marlowe says that he and Gunpei, who was the Japanese guy, were going to try to take off on the open sea, and a lizard got him. He shows them the ship that he built with Gunpei that will get them there if they fix it up. So then there's they're fixing it up, and there's a montage of photography of the village people by Weaver. Weaver goes through an opening... They're super and, okay with all this. Yeah, I was surprised by how okay they were with being photographed. And just, like, embracing these people into their lives. Yeah, like, they, did they don't not care. care. They're fine. Weaver goes through an opening in the wall. Good idea. And the spikes on the other side that are covering it are covered in blood. <laughs> but... I like the idea that there's these animals that just throw themselves up against the spiked for wall. For real! What is happening? Because there aren't even any bodies there. Yeah. It's so strange. Well, maybe that's why John C. Riley was able to be fat. They, they take the dead animals Constant. inside. Yeah, exactly. One of the downed copters is on top of a crying buffalo. Oh, He was so sad. So she tries to move the helicopter. Which, okay. What was going on in your brain, woman? Now, hold on. I get it. I get that if you... It's, it was so sad. And I understand that you would try to move it. But I feel like you would be like, hey, everybody... Help me. Let's all try this futile thing together. I know. Maybe with if everyone was together, you could do it. But there's no way you really feel like you, on your own, would be able to move this helicopter. Which would have been accurate, because guess what? She was not able to budget even a little. But she had to prove to King Kong that she was as noble as him in some ways. Yeah. And while and he she's saw trying it and to, understood. Yeah. While she's trying to move it, Kong does it for her. And then just, like, kind of looks at her like, you're so weak. I know. And, like, walks away. <laughs> and the buffalo walks away, and he's fine. Don't worry. Somehow. He's fine. Packard and his group see a giant, bloody Kong handprint on the side of a mountain. And he and Randa are encouraged that this means they can kill Kong. Which Baffling. I don't, which why I don't know this? why you think that that is what that means, because it just means that like he's a being yeah it doesn't really mean that you can still kill him if anything i would be like okay so you don't know how like what those were just cuts on his hand yeah so we because we see them later well, well we I mean, saw them in the yeah in the and they were from the helicopter blades right but i'm like dude that's what a helicopter blade did to his hand just small cuts are yeah. you kidding me <laughs> that would be discouraging if anything yeah then one of the soldiers... Then, okay, so once again, talking about the Vietnam War, one of the soldiers tells Randa a story about the war that sometimes the enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for them. Yeah, can you please... Oh my gosh. This is another one of those things where I'm like, this is someone that's heard about the Vietnam War from from rough descriptions in anti-war films. Well, of he's like, talking of about like, one specific... Sometimes the enemy doesn't, doesn't exist until you make one, and I'm like... 
Which right, is, the American army just invaded for no reason. Well, and created an enemy in Vietnam. Which is <laughs> sort of like the story that he's telling. It's true in some ways by invading a place. On a will, personal level. On yeah. a personal level, you will always create more believers by engaging in a fight. Yeah. But like that's sort of. You know, it's like, I don't know if that really parallels to this situation. Like, uh, yeah, you're on a macro level. I yeah. don't think like that, what you're saying is true. Yes, there was not an enemy here until you guys started bombing the place. But yeah, anyway, right. It doesn't and, really. Relate. Yeah. And people aren't forced to fight outside of war situations. Right. Yeah. There was literally so, nothing happening here until you got here and bombed it. This right. Is so whether different. you're making enemies or not, you're definitely making soldiers out of people who would have been peaceful men. Right. For sure. But it's, it is trying to make it into this grander statement <laughs> it about is. war. Yeah. So back at the boat, they're fixing it up and talking baseball. More comedy. They tell Marlo about the Cold War and that they put a man on the moon. He's like, what, did they just leave him up there? What's he eating? Poor Chapman is still all alone. He sits down on something, and surprise, he's not alone. He sat on a giant stick insect, which is actually really cool looking. I know. I loved it. I also couldn't tell if he was, like, using a log as a shell or what was going on there. He was a super cool animal, though. I really liked it. He starts to shoot at it and doesn't seem to actually hurt it. And as it walks away, he realizes he was shooting at the wrong thing. And he gets clever girled and eaten by a lizard. Well, it's one of the skull creatures. I just, I just call them lizards. Okay. Yeah. So they, so I don't know. Skull crawlers. Skull crawlers. <laughs> yeah. The skull crawlers. Or That's lizards. What I call whatever. Lizards. <laughs> yeah. Because we actually don't see any other lizards in this movie. Come but on. just so you know, it wasn't like a giant gecko or something that came up and ate him. It was... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a giant gecko. Uh, that's a cute death. <laughs> Conrad and Weaver talk about how the most dangerous places are always the most beautiful. And untrue, but that's fine. How dare you? And they talk about war and how no one ever really returns from war. Randa tells Packard that returning to the crash site is completely stupid. And he's like, No, we have to look at all of our look for all of our men. Chapman's still out there. That's all we needed to see of that scene. Yep. And aw, Kong likes the Northern Lights too. Kongs, they're just like us. <laughs> Marlo says goodbye to Gumpei's grave, which appears to be above ground. It's like a lump in the ground, which does not seem like a good idea with island life. Yeah, it's a tropical island. I mean, it's not a good idea anywhere, which is why we don't bury people that way. Animals will immediately dig it up. Yeah. Also, you'll probably be able to smell it. Whatever. He takes Gunpei's sword with him. They get on the boat and get started, look at the villagers all staring at them, and Marlo says goodbye. Weaver takes one last photo of them and appears to be incapable of taking anything but medium shots. <laughs> Marlo says he had a wife at home, and they had just had a son when he left that I think he might have never seen. I can't remember. I think that he was, his wife was pregnant. Okay. Maybe. Or yeah. no, if he did say a son. He knew it was a he son. He knew it was a son, but I maybe letters. Okay. He, and he'd just never seen him. Um, so he he's like, you know, she might have moved on. She might be married again. I don't know. He's like, I don't really care about that. Like, I, it, that's fine. I just want to see them again. Yeah. That's uh, realistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe she did marry someone else. It's been a long time. <laughs> Seriously. So they, they finally are able to talk to Packard on the radio, who sends up a flare so they can come get them. The Landsat that we don't care about, who is not Mark Evan Jackson, 
gets... He was the guy that was afraid to fly into the storm. Right, exactly. Poor guy. Should have stayed behind. Uh, because he gets picked up and torn apart by pterodactyls. Yep. And every... <laughs> Kind of Brooks. standing around like, what do we do? What do we do? Well, and I'm right. like, there's nothing you can do. Well, and that's true. And Brooks is like, are we not going to talk about that? Like, what just happened? And they're like, well, he's gone. Yeah. Just deal with it. We all know what just happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the two groups meet up, and Packard says they aren't leaving yet because they still have a man out there, and they have to go west to get him. Marlo says, no way. East is best. West is worst. That's the island saying. And I was it like, can't possibly be the island saying because they don't speak. Well, one guy does, and he's probably been saying it for 30 years. <laughs> Now it's a saying. <laughs> and they need way more guns if they're going west because that's where the skull crawler lizards are. Packard wants Conrad to find his man because he's an amazing tracker. Conrad says, okay, but if he's not there at the spot, they aren't ser- the crash site, they are not searching for him. They are going to be back there by nightfall and they're going to go north. Packard agrees, and I can tell he'd never go back on his word. <laughs> They walk through a field of giant rib bones, and this is what's left of Kong's family. And I'm surprised. At this point, I was like, okay, now are we going to bring up what you learned about Kong? Nope. Are you going to talk about the fact that Kong is this protector? You stirred up trouble. Now there's monsters everywhere. He's the one eating them. Are you going to talk about that? Nope. No, you're not. No. I was kind of upset by how little Kong was in this movie. I know! He wasn't even a focal point of the movie because he wasn't the villain. Yeah. He was just this, like, random benevolent monkey in the background, but, like... Who showed up sometimes, deus ex machina. Yeah. But this was barely about Kong at all, which I I I did not like that. I didn't like that. I watch Kong movies for Kongs. Exactly. Thank you very much. Marlo says they cannot go through that valley. Um, it's really dangerous, but Packard does. It's also filled with green gas, so, you know, that's another I know. reason. Um, not look safe. And then later on, we realize they actually have gas masks, but nobody tries to put one on. Yeah. Also, where? Where do they have these gas masks? In a bag somewhere. That's where I saw one. <laughs> uh, someone sets off an explosion with his cigarette and wakes up some skull crawler lizards. They run and hide in the bones, and one of the lizards spits out a skull with Jack's dog tags. So, I guess we can all leave now, because he's dead. He does not immediately mention it, though. I, yeah. He he doesn't mention it at the first opportunity, which is when when I would have said it. it. Like, hey, guess what? We're turning around right now, because he's already dead, and this is horrible. A huge lizard eats Randa, and... I guess the lizards are actually bulletproof. The lizards do have super cool tongues, though. Yeah. I know. They're so long. I know. I was impressed. Also, they're attached to their uh, brains. Yeah. We'll find out later. Yeah, and we find out later. That's a poor choice. So the lizards are not fireproof, but that doesn't actually turn out to be that useful because they can still knock you around with their tails and everybody dies anyway. The pterodactyls are in on it. Also, they get in on the melee, and now it's a real disaster. Except for the fact that Conrad gets to grab a gas mask and slice stuff up with a sword and looks super cool doing it. Oh, my goodness, yes. Way to show up to the movie, Tom Hiddleston. Right? Maybe the best part. Yes. After they get out of there, Marlo wants to turn around. And Packard is like, no, we're still looking for Jack. And then when he's told Jack is dead, he's like, well, that doesn't change anything. We're still going to the crash site. And they're like, why, excuse me? Well, because that's where the weapons are. We need more weapons so that we can kill Kong. This is one war we are not going to lose. 
Marlowe and Conrad tell him that Kong is the only thing keeping the lizards at bay, and Packard just says that they'll kill those two. Based on nothing. Yeah. Because they just uh, lost an encounter with them. Yeah, I mean, I guess he assumes that if you get this more military out there, it's, like, it'll be better, but I... But then you need to, like, leave and go cut back with more military. Well, that's the Then the U.S. Army will say, we do not care enough about this stupid island. Yeah, we're not gonna... You lost how many men doing how little? Yeah. No one cares. There's nothing there that's worth the resources. And are you saying that the lizards are just on this one island, or they can get off? Because if they can't, we're not sending anybody. So he's pointing guns at people at this point. So Conrad defuses the situation by saying that he'll take the civilians back to the pickup site. And once the soldiers leave, Marlowe says they have to stop Packard. He also warns them about bird-sized ants in the trees, which no thank you. That That Um, was unpleasant. We never actually see any, but... Thankfully. Yeah. Conrad and Weaver are looking for the boat at night um, up on cliffs to try to see where where they need to go and come across Kong. Weaver touches his face and Kong is just a big old friendly guy. And then he walks away. Yeah. But they're friends. Yeah, Weaver had a bit of like a Fay Ray relationship with a Kong. A little bit. Without without the weird implications. Yeah. The soldiers are setting off bombs in the vents to get Kong's attention and they've set a bunch of fires. They're waiting for him with guns and Conrad and Weaver back at their place tell the others they have to go find the boat but they need to wait for them until dawn because they're going to go and stop Packard. The soldiers though have set a trap for Kong because when he comes through the lake it's been covered in gasoline and they set it on fire. Kong gets through it and kills some of them but then he collapses from his burns. Packard wants to finish it and tells the soldiers to place the charges around the collapsed Kong And it's time to show Kong that man is king. (laughs) (laughs) And then Conrad, Weaver, and Marlowe show up to stop them. The soldiers finally turn on Packard, and they leave him behind because, guess what? Big King Lizard has shown up, and everyone but Packard is over it. They're like, it's not worth killing this thing to also just be killed by other stuff. No thanks. Packard is still going to set off those charges, but then Kong wakes up and just smashes him with his hand. So there we go. Finally. It's funny. They could clearly could not think of a way out of this problem. So they just had Kong wake up and smash him. Exactly. Kong and Lizard King fight it out. Lizard King is still following the humans at dawn. So I don't really know what happened to Kong. Like, I guess he got knocked out and not killed and one soldier sacrifices himself in a very ineffective way he stays behind with a grenade but then he just stands there waiting for the lizard and the lizard knocks him aside with his tail and the bomb goes off against a mountainside i was like dude you needed to run at him and jump in his mouth yeah and then set it off it's but don't worry because kong shows up with a big rock and he's in it to win it I know, and big rocks beat grenades any day of the week. They kind of don't, though, because it doesn't seem to do anything. Well, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So Weaver gets to the top of the wall, sends up a flare for the ship. Kong strips a tree trunk, gets some hits in, but then he gets tangled in old chains of a wrecked ship, and he can't move. It looks like it's over, but then Brooks starts firing from the ship. Lizard King is distracted, and Kong breaks free and gets an idea. He swings the ship's blade that's at the end of the chain at the lizard, pulls it in off the 
chain and chokes it and kills it. Weaver gets knocked off the cliff by the impact of the lizard being thrown against the side of the rock and falls in the water below. When Kong kills the lizard, we see his giant hand reach into the water to save Weaver. But Lizard wasn't dead! And neither is Weaver, so it's fine. Neither is Weaver, yeah, exactly. He chomps onto Kong's hand with Weaver in it, and Kong then rips out Lizard King's insides. And this is when we see that the tongue is attached to the brain. Seriously, bad idea. And just weird arrangement. And then he opens his hand and looks at Weaver like, oh, I sure hope I didn't just squish you. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. He and then, it, but but he's not that. He's like, but I can't do anything if I did, and just puts her down and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> They're on the boat. Conrad says, "Word will get out. It always does." And Weaver says, "Well, maybe so, but not from us." Three helicopters come out of the storm to rescue them, but then the last shot shows Kong being enraged by the sight of them. But I guess they made it fine because everybody gets off the island anyway. Yeah, I think maybe it was just a don't come back kind of look. Okay. I don't know. uh, Yeah, that checks out. So yeah, it's not the last shot because then we see Marlo going home nervously, seeing his son for the first time and his wife, who it seems did not remarry after all. She is thrilled to see him. Yeah. His son is just kind of confused. Yeah, which, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. So then there's a post credit scene. Which, luckily, I was told about. I know, I was, I was wondering if you were gonna... Normally, no, I do yeah. not see those, because I'm just like, credits, movie's done. <laughs> if it's not a superhero movie, I'm not gonna stay and watch till the end. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a meta moment, I guess, when the screen is dark, and... Oh, yeah. Conrad says, you're just going to sit there in the dark? You're enjoying this, aren't you? And then we see that Conrad and Weaver are being held in, like, a room with with uh, two-way mirrors by Monarch. Brooks and San say this is just the beginning. They're basically recruiting them into Monarch. They're not actually being held for whatever. Yeah, and they're showing them all these pictures of other monsters. Like, yeah. what's funny is they found one monster and there's like, oh, now we know for sure that there's all these other monsters. And I'm like, yeah, but that was the last undiscovered place. Like, where else are all these monsters? It's pretty weird. Um, it doesn't make any sense because... Uh, you know, I, I'm like, well, maybe did you think that these things were hoaxes before, but now you're sure they're real? I don't understand, because they're showing Mothra. Yeah, I Godzilla. I literally can't name any... Well, Godzilla, can't name any of the other ones. King somebody. I don't Rodin. know. Rodin. Yeah, there it is. And they're like, well, that's... that. This is just the beginning, so... Sequel? 100% sequel. So, actually, um... Which I will very much be seeing. So oh, me too. After this, Godzilla came out. The Godzilla remake came out, and oh, okay. so the next movie is going to be Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh no! But King Kong needs to win. I mean, one hundred percent, he needs to win. Oh no! Because King Kong, even in the original movie, wasn't really a villain. No, don't hurt that monkey. He was never evil. He was just an animal that was taken out of his native environment. Yeah, he was a little more smashy. But he was, but because he was an animal, he didn't understand. Yeah. He didn't care. Well, I don't think that's true. I think you can hug any wild animal and it will <laughs> instantly tame them. Accurate. <laughs> so this was a really enjoyable movie that I would actually recommend. It was. As long as you're just like in for like a brainless monster movie, this was pretty well done. And I, it was really beautifully shot. It, it was really shot was. by it's Zack so Snyder's cinematographer, oh, Larry nice. Fong. I mean, um, I, I can't say I won't be watching it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean,. Uh, <laughs> 
as long as you're not expecting some things to hang together very well or yeah. for any sort of character to have any sort of emotional resonance with you. Yeah. As if long you're as just going for it from Monster Movie. If you're just looking for resonance with a buffalo and a monkey, you're going to get it. Yes. <laughs> Accurate. Although I do wish there had been more Kong. Me too. But this yeah. movie did super well in theaters. It really did. I was surprised. Its budget was $185 million. What? What, are we just using our pocket change now? <laughs> <laughs> but it made $566.7 million in box office. Yep. Because also, this is the type of movie that appeals to the global audience. Oh, because it's the type time. of movie America does best. And because it's such a universal thing. Like, cult- yes. culturally, it's so... Monster movies are easy. Yes. That's why, like, Transformers does so well. I mean, it's all this stuff. Yeah. And nobody does them better than Americans. Nope. Because we have all that moolah. (laughs) So next up, uh, we're going to go back to the classics and do the animated Beowulf movie. What is this? Do you remember the one? It's not really animated... It's the one with Angelina Angelina Jolie Jolie and uh, John Malkovich, Ray Winston, Anthony Hopkins, Brandon Gleeson, Chris... Crispin Glover, a ton of people. And it was Robert Zemeckis back when he was doing his weird 3D animation stuff. Oh my god. You know, like Polar Express, period. Yeah. Oh, Robin Wright. Yeah. Co written by Neil Gaiman. What? And this movie just. (laughs) I mean, what it does to the original poem is. Make it a thousand times better. (laughs) That's what I was going for. Called it. Yes. So that's what's next on More is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.